What is God looking for in your life? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with the answer. There isn't anyone listening to me right now that cannot attain what God requires in his strength and his power. And it's simply this, faithfulness. No matter what status you are in life, no matter how much you have, little or a lot or a little, no matter where you live, what your background is, where you've come from, what your issue is, what you deal with, what you struggle with, doesn't matter. What is God looking for? Faithfulness. And every one of us in the power of the Holy Spirit can offer to God faithfulness. This is amazing grace. Whether you're a teacher, a pastor, plumber, or a stay-at-home mom, God has something He wants to see in you, and that's faithfulness. Question is, can that be found in your life today? Let's allow the Lord to search our hearts today on Abounding Grace as we open up 2 Kings 6. Pastor Ed Taylor has been highlighting the life and ministry of Elisha, and today we're urged to be faithful wherever God has placed us. 2 Kings chapter 6, and such an encouraging section of the Bible as we follow along the life and ministry of Elisha. I mean, Elijah was exciting, but Elisha, I mean, he's serving with a a double portion, an anointing that he requested. And throughout 2 Kings, up to this point, because we've had our Bible study spread out, you may not have noticed that already up to this point, Elisha's been involved in 13 miracles just up to 2 Kings chapter 5. Remember there was the parting of the Jordan in chapter 2. There were the healing of the waters in chapter 2. There was the curse of the bears in chapter 2. Then there was the filling of the valley with water in chapter 3. Then there was the Moabites. Then they saw the water and thought it was blood, chapter 3. There was the miracle of the the overflowing vessels of oil in chapter 4. There was the prophecy to the Shunammite woman that she would have a son, chapter 4. The resurrection of the Shunammite son, chapter 4. The healing of the gourds. Remember, you throw the meal in, chapter 4. The miracle of the bread, chapter 4. The healing of Naaman, chapter 5. The insight of Gehazi's transgression. Remember, we learned that last time. The gift of the discerning of spirits that was manifested even in the Old Testament. And then finally, the leprosy upon Gehazi. And you you go through the the Bible, and as we're reading it, you may not notice the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And might I just say that some of you might have come here tonight, some of you might be listening in because there was some white things falling in the sky, so you're watching online instead of here, so uh, listening on the radio. You you look at your own life, and you don't see much. You you assess your life, and, and you look at where you are, maybe even have this attitude. This attitude is, you know, at this age, I would have expected such and such. And at this age, I would have wanted to do this. But might I suggest to you and encourage you to take an examination of your life and give God credit for all the things he's done in your life. I mean, all the things that he's been doing. All the things that you've overlooked because maybe it didn't happen the way you wanted or it didn't happen when you wanted. But I know that if you just looked at today, if you just looked at today, you know, when we have, we gather together on Wednesday mornings 
early in the morning before we start, we have staff devos together. And, and uh, I felt led to lead the devos this morning, but only in the sense of reading a scripture that I was reading while I was waiting for people to come in. And it was in Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, it just talks about all the good things that God has done and how gracious he is and how he's forgiven us of our sins and how he knows that we're just done. And it's just over and over. And so then we open it up for everyone. Well, what's a scripture that inspires you? And what's a scripture that encourages you? And we went around the room for 15 minutes just reading the passages of scripture that encourage us, that some of them were memorized. So people were just sharing them off the top of their head because they had hid their, that, that scripture in their heart so they wouldn't sin against the Lord. And, and I, there are times you just got to sit down and thank God for all that he's done and, and not take it and go, well, you know, I've been going through this Bible study for a few, and I, I don't know, Elisha, I don't know, what did he do? What did he do? God has used him in tremendous ways. And you know what, friend? God is using you. And it may not be what you expected and may not be what you wanted, but God's ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. He has you right where he wants you, doing exactly what he wants you to be doing, in the place, in the city, at work, looking for a job, whatever it is in life, you embrace your position in life as God has you there on purpose. Now, when we come to chapter six here, remember it's in light of the fall of Gehazi, his greed, and how he went after, uh, went after the Naaman to, to get some money, and he lied. And many scholars, when they look at this passage and, and they look back at what we studied last time with Gehazi, they see him as a type of Judas Iscariot because his name means denier. And he becomes a picture as his lies lead to his downfall. Gehazi was compassionless, so was Judas. Powerless, so was Judas. Faithless, so was Judas. And covetous, so was Judas. The same in every way. But as we open the chapter today in chapter 6, we see contrast. We see a contrast from the covetous greediness of Gehazi being rewarded for his unfaithfulness that we now open up and see the rewards for labor and faithfulness. And by the way, God is so gracious to us because when, when he looks to us in our service and our commitment to him, he levels the playing field. Because in this room today, there are some of you who are very, very highly educated and some of you never finished high school. There are some of you that have many, many resources, and some of you are praying for the basic necessities. There are some of you that are very, very strong in your faith right now, and there are some of you that are wavering. I mean, you, you can have all of the extremes in life and everything in between. And if we use those measurements in, in our service to God, we would be discouraged, especially if we're on the lower end of some things. We would always be discouraged by those that seem to have more. And we'd always be discouraged by those that seem to make more progress. And we'd always look at what we don't have instead of what we have. And so what does God do? He puts the measurement at something that all of us can attain. There isn't anyone listening to me right now that cannot attain what God requires in his strength and his power. And it's simply this, faithfulness. No matter what status you are in life, no matter how much you have, little or a lot or a little, no matter where you live, what your background is, where you've come from, what your issue is, what you deal with, what you struggle with, doesn't matter. What is God looking for? Faithfulness. And every one of us in the power of the Holy Spirit can offer to God faithfulness. And every one of us can also offer to God unfaithfulness. And throughout the scriptures, Jesus teaches us on faithfulness. Our own Savior says, look, whatever's been entrusted to you, be faithful. 
Wherever you are in the station of life, be faithful. Don't misunderstand your master. Understand he's as a loving, caring God and be faithful with what you have. I mean, how many problems would be solved in the world today if this, this truth and this encouragement of faithfulness that people just really took things seriously and just decided to be faithful? I mean, what if it just started in the body of Christ? If the body of Christ, the, the very hands and the feet of Jesus, you and I, would just be faithful to our commitments. Why does Jesus have to tell us, let your yes be yes and your no be no? Because unfortunately, there are many times when somebody says yes, but they really mean no. Or they say no and really mean yes, us. Believers, it shouldn't be named among us, but it is. Why is it that believers aren't faithful with giving of their tithes and offerings? Why is that? Why does God have to tell us in Malachi, test me on this? Why would he ever have to tell us that? Of all of his goodness and, and, and his outpouring of love and his faithfulness even when we're faithless, why would he say, you know, test me on this? Why are so many in the body of Christ not faithful with their money? Why are so many not faithful in their home? Like God has made it easy for us to be faithful. And he's even empowered us to fulfill what he's required of us if we just surrender in humble obedience to him. Well, notice in verse 1 now, chapter 6. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And he answered, go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. And so he reached out his hand and took it. These men, these prophets, were wholly dedicated to the Lord. They spent their days searching the scriptures, seeking God, serving Elisha, and growing in their discipleship in God. And as they consumed the word, they grew spiritually, and they grew in number to the point where they needed to build a larger place to live. Listen, the greatest thing that you and I can do on a daily basis is to grow in our understanding of God's word and in our service to him. As we have learned, there is a healthiness as the Word of God comes into us that the Word of God will then come out of us and we will begin to serve people in the name of Jesus Christ. The more and more God's Word comes into us, the more and more He enlarges. He enlarges our opportunities. He doesn't shrink them. And we think, begin to think less and less of ourselves and more and more of others. So what does Elisha do? He releases them. And he says at the end of verse 2, go. You guys want to go get some wood and build a bigger place? Go. And then this phrase jumped off the page to me in verse 3. You might want to mark it. It's just three words in the New King James. It says, then one said. This is a group of the sons of prophets. It's a large group, a growing group. And then in the midst of their request, Elisha says, go. And then one of them speaks up, just one. One in the crowd. And, and he asks, he says, please consent to go. Come with us, basically. He says, come with us. And I... I see this in such a needed reminder in our lives, in a culture, our culture, that has seemed to forget the one. Take, for example, the, the church culture. The church culture. Unfortunately, the church culture seems to equate more with success and less with failure. 
And you say, what are you talking about? Well, it's simply this. If a church seems to be growing in number, almost immediately a label of success. You know, when they say, what are the largest churches in the United States, they're looking for the ones that have the most people attending. And in that article, the article only stipulates the top 25 churches in the United States of America that are over 10,000 people that come. And what is that article saying directly and indirectly? This is success. Success is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Now, God can save thousands at a time. We see that in the scriptures. And churches can certainly be thousands because God has ordained that. Certainly, we see that. But does that necessarily mean success? What is success? You see, is it, a, is, it, is it really true that a large church is successful and a small church somehow means lack of success? I'll answer the question for you. The answer is no. Size is not necessarily indicative of the blessing of God. Size is not necessarily an indication of God's presence. I believe God is well pleased with a church of any size. Where if just two or three gather together, Jesus says, I'm there. Just two or three. If we just gather together in a small group, right? Because the church isn't where we gather. This is, you know, th- this is a room where the church gathers. But in a few moments, the church is going to what? Scatter. It's going to go out into the world. You are the church. I'm the church. And may the Lord help us. And here's where, here's where it really speaks to us as a fellowship family. May the, may the Lord truly help us to never lose sight of the one in the midst of growth, in the midst of blessing, in the midst of expansion. Here they are building something else. And then Elisha listens to one. He listens to the group and he also listens to one. Now, listen, for us being a part of a large growing church, or, or you could even use the word larger, because I can say that the church today is larger than it was a few years ago, many years ago. It's larger than when we first started, for sure. And so as we approach it and say the church is larger, I mean, our church has grown. And, and our church will grow. And it'll continue to grow. Because the Bible promises as we cast the seed, like, Jesus, we're fishers of men. You keep fishing, you're going to catch people. The more you share the gospel the more God saves people. That's how it works. The more you share the love of Christ, the more God sovereignly brings conviction of sin and draws. Isn't that what happened to you? I was just thinking of my pastors turning 70 years old here pretty soon, and I was just, they asked me to do a quick video to send them, so I did it today, and I was not only wishing them a happy birthday, but I remember, and I said, thank you, Pastor Jeff, for being faithful and not quitting and persevering because it was sovereignly God's will to draw me into that very room where they're going to show that video and have Pastor Jeff teach the gospel in a very simple, plain way where he told me, like I'm telling you, that God loves me, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and die for you. That if you will turn of your, away from your sins today, you'll repent of your sin. You will just admit that you've sinned. Just admit that you failed before God. Just admit that you're not perfect. And embrace the loving. And, you know, why would God point that out to us except to show us that there's a remedy? Just like a good doctor. You know, that Jesus is referred to as a physician, the great physician. And a physician gives the diagnosis so he might give the treatment. And so when God diagnoses us in our sinful condition, he gives the treatment, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so on the video, I said, thank you. Because it was through the simple preaching of the gospel in a room like this that a punk like me got saved. And to imagine, I'm sitting here in an office, 18 years of pastoring in, a, in Colorado, just saying, you know what, Pastor Jeff? The fruit from the ministry here goes to your account. It goes to your faithfulness. 
and the work that you're doing. You see, because when you preach the gospel, people get saved. They go, but Ed, I've preached the gospel every service and no one's gotten saved. Now, actually, you had to change that. And you say, I preach the gospel every service and I haven't had the privilege of seeing with my own eyes anyone get saved. But doesn't the word of God not return void? (laughs) Does it not return empty? That somebody somewhere might pick up a copy of that study or they were watching on Facebook Live and and now they're wrestling and they're struggling and they're going through it and they're, oh, and, and then maybe two weeks later they bow the knee at their bedside and receive Jesus Christ as their savior. Our church will continue to grow. I'm pretty confident of that. And it'll grow in a variety of different ways. There will be more, but we can never lose sight of the one. Let me show you something. Turn over to Luke chapter 8, verse 43, would you? Luke chapter 8. Church, I'm teaching you. And and so we're going to have to mention this this message for all those that weren't here because this is discipleship for us. We can't lose sight of the one. It doesn't matter how many people gather in a room, 30, 300, 3,000, it doesn't matter. God sees every single one as one. Yes, there's the group, but there's also one. Yes, there's the group, but there's always one. Notice in Luke chapter 8, jump over to verse 43 with me and be reminded of this instance in the ministry of Jesus. It says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now, now the background of this is a throng of people around Jesus. You know, the only thing I can think of when I think of a throng of people is like Times Square on New Year's Eve. Like, you don't move. You just stand there until the ball falls, and that's it. You just don't move, and you're, you're just crammed in there as much as you can. So there's all these people around Jesus. They're thronging around him. It's crowded. It's packed. And this woman's determined. This one woman is determined. I've got to get to him. And so she gets to him, touches, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus responds, who touched me? Who touched me? All the people there. He didn't stop, you know, and get the people moving, create a crowd, bring her up here, and use it as an opportunity to teach. No, who? I want to I know who. Who touched me? And everyone denied it. Notice Peter with those with him say, Master, the multitudes throng you. And why, why are you worried about one? Isn't that our attitude sometimes? Why are you worried about one? How would you even know? There's so many people here. And Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. You're in this church. You might be visiting. You're from another church. Jesus, he knows you by name. You are somebody to him. And a true church that's walking in the spirit, you're somebody to us. You're not just anybody. We've never had a goal. You know, for now, just between you us, you know, us and our little fellowship here, we've never had a goal to plant a large church. That's not why we moved here. We moved here from California to love people and to teach the Bible and to visit in the hospital, to pray for you, to dedicate your kids and see you get married and Unfortunately, officiate in a memorial service here and there. To point you to Jesus in tough times and to rejoice with you, with you in Jesus in the great times. And just let God do what he wants to do with his church. He's the one that said he would build the church. If you are part of a smaller church, that church is important to the body of Christ. 
Don't let anybody come and tell you, well, you know, your church isn't small. You, hey, you know, or your church isn't large. It's so, don't, don't even listen to them. He said, this is what God allowed. This is what I'm responsible for. You know, you might be a pastor listening in. You go, well, you know, our church is only 10 people. 10 people is a lot to give account to before the Lord in eternity. Can you imagine that question? What did you do with the 10 people I trusted to you? Well, I always wanted more. That's not going to sound good. I always wanted more, and I neglected the 10, and always wanted more, and I never had more than 10. No, it's not the size of the church. The heart of the matter is the size of your heart. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Pastor Ed, I can't help but think someone listening right now needed to hear that. Don't forget the one. Why do you think there's such an emphasis today in the church on numbers rather than the heart? Wow, Larry, that's a big question because it kind of speaks to the motives of, you know, the pastors and the leaders. And and I, I really want to be careful not to do that because I don't know. But I can't say from the perspective of our culture, we've been taught that big is good, small is bad. We've been taught and it's been ingrained to us that uh, forward progress is always more and that if we uh, are not seeing more, then something must be wrong. And we live in a, a very blessed generation, a very blessed culture. And, and so we, we see that God has entrusted to us more and much. And while, while we, we think of you know, more being uh, better, the Bible doesn't teach such. God still saves one by one, period. And sometimes people will refer to our church here as a large church or a big church. And I don't see our church as a large church. I, I'm not opposed to the language, you know, of a large and a small. The average church in America is 75 people, including children. And, and so that, that's average. And you, you pastors listening in right now, like 75, you're right there. You're right where God has you. You're 75 people, as Charles Spurgeon said, is... Uh, huge to be responsible for. But, you know, when you, maybe you have a little bit more than 75, maybe you have 150, maybe you have 300 people that you're entrusted with and you go, well, I'm a large church. I, I don't, I don't see it that way. And I'll tell you why. Until I stand up and I, God ever uses me to share a message before thousands of people off the top of my head in just 45 seconds, a couple minutes and see 3,000 people saved and baptized in one day, then I can see some uh, a dramatic, you know, large work of God. But you Bible students know that I'm describing the day of Pentecost when Peter got up and preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. That's, that's church growth to me. Um, a lot of what church growth is today is just church transfer. And we as pastors need to be aggressively going after the lost and discipling the saved to go after the lost. And so I hope a few of you pastors listening in, that we'd lock arms together, we'd lock shields together, and let's go after the lost. And so, you know, there's an emphasis today on numbers because numbers lead to uh, ego and numbers lead to budgets and on and on and on. But let's just, let's just love the one. And if one becomes two, praise God. Two becomes five, praise God. Five, ten, hundred, thousand, ten thousand, whatever it is, Heaven is so much greater and grander. Let's not be so motivated to grow churches as much as we are motivated to fill heaven. And I'll tell you, that changes your whole perspective. Lord, forgive us for emphasizing things that you don't emphasize and help us to remember the one.
Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for sharing that, my friend. And listening, friend, don't forget you can access these teachings from Pastor Ed at our website. Today's study is called Keep Watch on Your Ministry Edge, and we're at calvaryaurora.org. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day, but we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us with financial and or prayerful support. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 877-30-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today, we'll say thanks by sending you Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. Whether you're on the brink of divorce, not happy with the way things are going in your marriage, or looking for some tools to help take your relationship to the next level, this book is a must-read. It's written in a counseling style with practical encouragement. And there are group discussion questions at the end of each chapter, so this would work well in a small group Bible study. Call 877-30-GRACE. We'll get right back into 2 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 